Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Bloomberg Sound On. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. Biden has promised again and again that he will unite the country. Who do you think Biden has to watch in terms of moderate defectors? Infrastructure has always been bipartisan. Bloomberg Sound On on Bloomberg Radio. Florida is cranking up the heat on Disney and taking aim at Twitter. Welcome to the fastest hour in politics with a focus today on the collision of business and politics in the Sunshine State. We'll be joined ahead by Chris Sprouse, the Speaker of the Florida House, ahead of a looming vote to strip Disney of special privileges in a dispute over the new so-called don't say gay law will explain. Later, the U.S. prepares a possible appeal over the mask mandate for public transportation. We'll talk through the confusion with Dr. Jay Varma of Kroll Institute. Analysis today from our panel, Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis. Who's the leader of the truck that's made for you and me? M-I-C-K-E-Y. Who's the leader Yeah, we're talking Disney. The biggest employer in the Orlando area, of course, the operator of Disney World, the most visited vacation resort, they say, on the planet. It opened in 1971, over 27,000 acres, including the so-called Reedy Creek Improvement District. Is this now a household term where you live? Reedy Creek created in a special act of the legislature to allow Disney to carry out certain municipal functions on its own. This is not the kind of thing you're aware of when you're on vacation. Self-governance. That's now being challenged by Governor Ron DeSantis and the Republican legislature for opposing Florida's so-called don't say gay law, which limits instruction about gender identity and sexual orientation kindergarten through third grade after pushback from some of its employees we've talked about this disney said it would work to have the law repealed either through the legislature through the courts governor DeSantis hit back hard yesterday announcing plans in a special session by the legislature they will be considering the congressional map but they also will be considering termination of all special districts that were enacted in Florida prior to 1968, and that includes the Reedy Creek Improvement District. Very happy crowd. We're talking Disney again here. The Florida Senate passed the bill last night, and it now goes to the House, and we're joined, as I mentioned, now by the Speaker of the Florida House, Chris Sprouls. Mr. Speaker, thank you for joining us in the middle of... The special session here, will the House follow today in, in stripping Disney of this special privilege? Thanks, Joe. Appreciate you having me. Uh, absolutely. Tomorrow, when we get back on the House floor, we did the discussion and debate today, but tomorrow we will we will pass the bill and send it to Governor DeSantis for signature. Yeah. Bloomberg reports that dissolving the district could well hurt Disney's ability to borrow in the debt markets, local and state. Is that your goal by doing this? No, it has nothing to do with that. You know, I, I think that, first of all, it'll, it'll allow the uh, allow it to be uh, given to the local governments, which is how most of these special districts are. You know, Dis- Disney is one of six special districts that was never reformed after the 1968 Florida Constitution. Uh, but most of the districts 
uh, Joe, are, you know, there's a mosquito control district. There's a law library. There is nothing that is a corporation that has the ability to essentially engage in their own self-governing. It's, you know, their own city. They run it themselves. They tax themselves. They have the ability to build a nuclear power plant. Uh, that is nothing that is given to any corporations. That is something that was specifically done for Disney uh, way back when. And candidly, it was just never revisited um, after the constitutional changes that happened in the 60s. Mm-hmm. Bloomberg uh, is reporting as well. The Reedy Creek District has about a billion dollars of municipal bonds currently outstanding, uh, Mr. Speaker. I'm sure you've talked this through. How does the legislature plan to, to answer questions that bondholders have about who's going to pay down the debt? Yeah. Yeah. Actually, that's a, that's a red herring. I think that people who you know try to criticize the bill. The reality is there's a statutory framework. If nothing happened, Joe, if the legislature decided not to engage, yep. there's a way that these special districts are dissolved, where you know the that that transfers the debt transfers over to the local governments who can manage it. They could set it up in a million different ways, including operating it similarly to how it's you know operated now, so that that bond debt won't be interrupted. So I actually think that's just something that sort of people have kind of thrown to muddy the water. Okay, so that's kind of predetermined, you're saying, if you pass this, uh, if this becomes law, and I'm assuming, of course, the governor's going to sign this if you get it done tomorrow, that will all be mapped out in the legislation? No, it doesn't have to be. So what it says is it expires in a year. So it essentially gives, you know, the local governments 12 months to figure out how do you want to do this? There's not one way to do it. There's lots of different ways that this can be done, and they can figure out what makes the most sense for that, those, those four counties. Mr. Speaker, I know this didn't come without controversy, even, of course, within your own state. Representative Carlos Smith, uh, a Democrat who claims to be Florida's first LGBTQ Latino legislator, spoke passionately against the bill uh, in a hearing. Let's listen to what he said, and I'd love to get your thoughts. Here's furious. We have been told by the governor and by Republican lawmakers in plain language, in public and on the record, That if Disney or any other business or individual speaks out against this administration or they engage in this so-called woke ideology, they will pay. Mr. Speaker, how is he wrong? First of all, members can express their opinion however they want. But the reality is people want to talk about you know, uh, don't say gay, which of course is not in the bill. It's not about that. It's about say the truth, say the truth. And the reality is, look, we expect people, we expect businesses, if they want to engage in, in, in the public sphere and free speech, by all means do that. What's unique to Disney is that they have a special, unique power and privilege, great power and privilege that has been given to them by the taxpayer that no other corporation in Florida gets. Mm -hmm. And they use that to mislead the public. You know, Joe, somebody like you who's actually read the bill knows that what what they said and what Disney said about what the legislature did was not true. It's not true. They can be critical of what we did. They could say we disagree with us. By all means, people should do that. And they should second guess our judgment. But what Disney did was use their power and privilege that had been given to them by the taxpayers to, to mislead Floridians. And that's inappropriate and it's wrong. And when it happened, people started talking about, well, gosh, why does Disney have all of this extra stuff and extra power and privileges that no other business in the state gets? And we went back and looked at it and we realized, well, gosh, not only is that the case, 
But, you know, there's only six of these that exist that, you know, that predate this. Mm-hmm. And only one is a corporation like Disney and only one has these great powers and privileges. So, you know, I, I think that what we're doing is, is wildly ap- appropriate. And what Disney did sure. was wildly inappropriate. Want, let me ask you about Twitter as well, because this all kind of comes together with what some are criticizing uh, Florida in terms of being you know, overreaching when it comes to business. You were with Governor DeSantis when he turned his focus uh, to Twitter, which has introduced a poison pill provision. Our listeners are well uh, read in on this. Uh, here on Bloomberg in response to Elon Musk's takeover attempt. Of course, here's what Governor DeSantis said. The state of Florida and our pension system, we have shares of Twitter. Uh, I didn't buy it. We have people that run the fund. But nevertheless, it hasn't exactly been great in returns on investment. It's been pretty stagnant for many, many years. Uh, so, But nevertheless, I mean, to me, I think that that's probably an injury to the fund. So we're going to be looking at ways that the state of Florida potentially can be holding these Twitter board of directors accountable for breaching their fiduciary duties. A big round of applause uh, for that. Clearly, a lot of people are in support of this, Speaker uh, Sprouls. What ways, though, can you hold the board accountable uh, other than selling the stock? I do think we need to start rethinking how we approach this problem. I I don't know if you've had the opportunity, Joe, but uh, Vivek Ramaswamy, who wrote a book recently called Woke, Inc., really goes into this issue in depth, right? So he starts talking about the, the, the massive funds who own huge stakes in companies like Twitter, like Disney, and how they use that power to impact their policies on issues that aren't about, you know, their, their company or building widgets. It's about, you know, cultural policy and society. And they're starting to try to change society with average Americans' money who don't agree with their positions. I mean, let's take this example, right? What Disney did when they took that position on that bill, mm-hmm. that is wildly out of step, not only with Floridians, but Americans. There's polls that were done by, uh, by the Daily Wire. There's been other polls that were done of Democrat primary voters that indicated that they wildly support what okay. the Florida legislature done. So I, I think that this is a move from, from corporations that are out of step with where people are. And I think we need to start thinking about these funds and how we're investing in these large funds that are that are really more about remaking society than they are about just making sound business investments. To be clear, though, this is the, the, the board in these cases. I, I understand your point of view completely and that you disagree with them, but they've not broken any laws, correct, that you're responding to? No, of course not. Okay. And, and they've whatsoever. The but Florida North House, Georgia. Mr. Speaker, is also set to pass a new congressional map. This is another big deal that we would likely be talking about exclusively on any other day. It would add four seats likely to go Republican. And as Bloomberg is reporting, it would eliminate districts now held by two of the state's black House members. One of them, Al Lawson, says it violates the Voting Rights Act as well as the Constitution. Is he wrong? Uh, well, first of all, the, the, the idea of eliminating two districts is not true. It's, it's one district in North Florida. And the argument's been made that this is a district where, if you look at it, Joe, it really almost spans the length of the state. It's 200 miles long. And the argument's been made, does that have to maintain a racial district? But we are maintaining um, you know, districts that are minority access districts. Um, we are protecting them. This is one particular seat where, you know, the, the argument is that uh, you don't have to do that because of its unique nature. If you look yeah. at it, every person off the street would say, well, gosh, that, that's a gerrymandered district. And that's the argument that, that the governor. Well, there it is from the Speaker of the House. I think we got caught off there. Uh, Speaker Sprouse, thank you for being with us here on Sound On. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington. We'll assemble the panel next with Rick and Jeannie get their take on everything we just talked about government versus business and a congressional map that could lead to a lawsuit 
It's straight ahead on the fastest hour in politics. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. Fastest hour in politics, we assemble the panel following our conversation with the Speaker of the Florida House and trying to get our heads around how this might end and what precedent it might set for government versus business. And not to mention the future of the Florida economy, the tourism economy in Orlando and beyond. Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis are with us for the hour. Jeannie, uh, we covered a lot of ground with Speaker Sprouls. Let's start with Disney, of course. It is a small world because everyone seems to be involved here. We've got shareholders talking. We've got the government talking. And, of course, we've got the company talking and threatening to have this law repealed. Is this an example of government overreach? You know, it, it's an example of what Ron DeSantis is willing to do to increase uh, his, uh, you know, the way that people, not just in Florida, but around the country view him because he's a very ambitious person. And I think, you know, for the speaker to suggest that this was something that happened regardless of what Disney had to say about the bill, um, you know, is simply not the case. Mm-hmm. Sure, Disney spoke out. They hit the hornet's nest and Florida and the governor are striking back. Got but this stung. is they got stung. But this is part of a broader you sort of culture war that the governor is engaged in. It's everything from math textbooks to Disney to the redistricting to the abortion yeah. ban to Twitter. I mean it runs the gamut. It's all about his ambitions and the bill gives a year because they'll probably pull this back. Seventy seven thousand Floridians are employed by Disney and taxes may go up if something like this stuck. That's something that they've got to consider. Rick, what does this mean for the Republican brand? And are we going to end up in a world where, you know, various companies end up in certain states where they're considered welcome and people go on vacation there? So they're kind of like the cable news of travel. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has become one of the fastest-growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank. Because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. 
Yeah, you know, it's a clash of uh, a traditional Republican constituencies, which were corporate America, right? It wasn't, you didn't have to look very long ago where the Chamber of Commerce was the favorite association in Washington. Now it can't get its calls returned from the House Majority Leader. Uh, you know, it's, a, it's, it's really going to be interesting to see how this, this, this settles out. And I think we're going to be seeing this battle for a long time because corporations are under more and more scrutiny by the public who buy their products, who invest in their companies to be more culturally sensitive uh, on issues of everything from race to the environment. Yeah. And, and so uh, to have a politician say, well, you know, they need to mind their own business and just do their business. But the vast majority of their value is their brand and their brand is affected by these cultural issues. So uh, you cannot you cannot divide the two. I, I, I would say. Nobody's ever really survived a real war with Disney. They've been around a long time, and I don't remember a single politician that that somehow you know, uh, paid off for them. Uh, that's an interesting take. Uh, you mentioned the number of employees uh, there, Jeannie. Twitter is its own story. Uh, interesting to take aim in the middle of this Elon Musk uh, situation. I, that seems to be not quite as... Uh, as baked as the Disney action, right? Is there going to be legislation? I, I couldn't quite understand what it was they were trying to do to to get back at uh, at the board for the poison pill. Isn't that well within their right? It is within their right, and it is unclear. You know, there was sort of a threat that Florida would punish Disney if, if you know, and it was unclear if and what they would do about it. Um, and I agree with Rick. You know, the mouse usually wins these battles, so so the mouse will probably win in this case. But, you know, I go back again to the fact that this is part of Ron DeSantis's efforts to raise his profile. This is a political activity by someone with designs on potentially running for the presidency. And for anybody, you know, we look at the polls and it's inflation, inflation, inflation. But it seems that at least in Ron DeSantis's mind, there is a culture war that is going on here and he is getting on a side of it. But the the problem for him is the attack on Disney in particular, just like the abortion ban, that is dangerous politics in many ways. So, you know, can he do it? Absolutely. It's within his rights. I didn't know Disney was like the Vatican, this own special district they have. But, <laughs> you know, but there it is. And can the legislature act? Yeah, absolutely. But they also, he also runs the risk of overreach. And I think it's going to be so fascinating to see if he can survive that. Well, I guess that's right, though. In terms of, you know, we talk politics generally here, Rick, in terms of Ron DeSantis's brand and his political ambitions, this is gold, right? Yeah, no, I, I think the one thing I would uh, just modify a little bit to what Jeannie was saying is that it, it's not so much him trying to become popular. There is a culture war going on in the United States, right? This is a very salient issue, not just in Florida, but in almost every state in the country. That's why you see it debated so much. And and Ron DeSantis is not trying to sort of fit into that. He's trying to own it. He wants that to be his brand when he launches a national campaign. He wants to be the culture candidate. And, and, and he just happens to have probably the biggest brand in the world to wow. contrast with. Uh, Mickey leaned in with his chin and Ron DeSantis is throwing a haymaker. Is he already running against Trump? Yeah, he's been running against Trump for quite some time. And this is uh, this is all part of that game plan is to take the Trump constituency and give him an issue rather than just a popularity. Could he beat him, Jeannie? 
He can. Um, you know, I, I am not a fan of people trying to look backwards, and that's what Donald Trump is doing. He's trying to relitigate 2020. Ron DeSantis is obviously looking forward, but I think it is dangerous politics because of the overreach involved. Dangerous politics, maybe, but a story made for Bloomberg, the true intersection here of business and politics playing out on the fastest hour in politics. I'm glad you're with us. Rick and Jeannie here for the hour as we turn to the mask mandate next. This is Bloomberg. Still trying to figure out what's going on with the mask mandate. At this time yesterday, uh, it seemed like the administration was inching up to an appeal. That was the word from the secretary, as you might remember, health secretary saying in the middle of the day yesterday that this would uh, end up going to the Department of Justice. But the CDC plays into this, so they will appeal. DOJ will appeal if the CDC decides that that's the right thing to do. The Bloomberg uh, story by Josh Wingrove, Eric Larson, Justin Sink says it all. The administration remaining at a loss in responding to a judge's ruling striking down the pandemic mask requirement, with the White House and various agencies struggling to devise and coordinate a legal strategy more than a day later. We're still not really sure what's going on. As we introduce Dr. Jay Varma, Chief Medical Advisor, Kroll Institute. Fellow, it's great to have you with us here, Doctor. It seems to me that the confusion might be the most dangerous part of this whole story. Now we're on day two. We still don't know exactly what's going to happen. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I think really actually what concerns me and I think a lot of other public health people the most uh, isn't even the net, what happens over the next week or two, although that's clearly of concern to, to people who are traveling. What's concerning is that uh, this basically removes CDC's ability to impose a mask mandate um, in the future. And, and it may very well be that we get a much more dangerous variant than the one we have now, um, where it might even be more critical or a new virus to begin with. Is that uh, reason in itself enough to appeal? I think that's really what what this administration is is dealing with right now. You know, their biggest concern with appealing it is that if this makes its way to the Supreme Court uh, and the Supreme Court upholds the decision of this uh, district court, well, then you have lasting precedent that will go on into future pandemics. Whereas if they don't appeal it at all, while it you know, enjoins CDC from imposing a mandate right now, it mm-hmm. still preserves the ability of them to attempt to try one in the future if necessary. So it's I think really, that's why you're seeing this delay right now. Kind of trivializes the, just the whole concept right now, right? So if somebody's walking around, they've got a mask in their back pocket. Depending on what door they walk through, they have to wear it. As we read now, with inf- infection rates climbing across more than 30 states, airplanes are done with it, Amtrak, forget it, Uber said you don't need a mask. But in some big cities, New York, San Francisco, even Philadelphia, you're still required to wear them on public transit. So now we're in a world where you have to wear your mask on the subway and inside the airport, doctor, but you take it off inside the airplane. Nobody's going to take this seriously. Well, and this is really harms the credibility of public health agencies, which have already had a very difficult time, as you know, from the beginning about talking about masks. Um, mm-hmm. And the more people see this type of inconsistency, uh, you know, it's it makes it like I can explain the inconsistency, but the average person doesn't really care about all those nuances. What they see is yeah. the kind of absurdity of wearing it in one place, but not another, even That's though right. both are indoor setting. Yep, absolutely. So what does it mean, uh, as I, I ask you as the medical expert in this case, with infection rates rising, are we about to have a massive case study and whether this is a good idea? You know, it's incredibly challenging uh, for public health people to sort of disentangle 
uh, the effects of masks, you know, at a population level from all the other factors that are involved. Um, we know that if you're at an individual level, if you wear a high quality mask, like an N95 or equivalent, you're very well protected against getting infected. You know, the challenge with mandates is, do people wear high quality masks and do they wear them consistently and correctly? And so, you know, and so it makes benefit at a small percentage over a big population helps the country. Um, but we are going to see in different areas of the country. But, but I think what you're going to end up seeing really is a pattern that more closely tracks vaccination rates um, than tracks any other factor. Because what we're really most worried about right now is severe illness and death. And vaccinations are the single biggest predictor of whether or not uh, you get severely ill from this disease or not. Boy, I'll tell you, it, reinstating this would be a mess, right? What happens if you find out tomorrow the Biden administration is going to appeal? Let's say they win that appeal or or this ruling is stayed. People have to put their masks back on airplanes. Is it even worth it at that point? Or are we creating a new public safety issue with people punching each other out on airplanes? Well, you know, I, I think that's one of the, the main reasons why you saw, you know, airlines uh, applaud this decision is it wasn't that they're not concerned about health and safety. They see the protections as the bigger issue than the disease. And the protections are what's leading to exactly what you said, the civil unrest. And, you know, just like every other industry, you know, they're worried about, you know, keeping staff on, uh, you know, flying. And uh, while many of us in the public health world see the main reason why you might lose staff is because they get sick from COVID. They're seeing it as fatigue from having to deal with unruly passengers. So, you know, a, a, a good outcome from this would be that the ruling gets that that the ruling gets overturned and CDC has the authority to impose the mandate, uh, but it chooses maybe not to reinstate it. For example, you know, in other words, you get a middle ground where you don't have to disrupt the national uh, situation. But at the same time, CDC does have that authority to reimpose it in the future. Mm -hmm. um, if we see that that rates become uh, too high or there's a new variant that's even more scary than the ones we have now. Little. That's just great to think about. Uh, there are some definite concerns here when we consider the way forward. Uh, is anyone in Washington, doctor, from your view, following, as they like to say, the science? So this is probably one of the most unfortunate phrases that's come out of this pandemic. What I, what I often wish public health people and government would say is that we start with the science, but then we consider everything else. Huh. Uh, and that's really what this comes down to. I mean, really, you start with science, but you also have to factor in what does your population wants in the situation with the mask mandate? What is legal? You know, um, and so, I, you know, I, as a public health person, am comfortable with the fact that different states and jurisdictions are choosing different approaches based on what they view as acceptable. You know, some parts of the country, particularly those that are left leaning, you know, choose collective protection responses and they prioritize that. Everybody should do everything to protect the most vulnerable. Yeah. Whereas other parts of the country would tend to be right leaning, prioritize individual values. You know, as a public health person, I can understand that. But what I really <laughs> want to see is that government, but I want to see government communicate that clearly. And you don't yeah. often see that, right? You know, people try to either deny COVID or they, That's you know, they say the it's truth. deadly to everybody without balancing and saying, look, you know, we're weighing risks and benefits. Yeah. Here's why we're coming out on one side. So it is about the science, but it's about being transparent about all the other all values. Right, Jay Varma, thank you for the insights as we start with the science on Bloomberg. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Janet Yellen walked out on the Russians. You see that move today at the G20? She was not alone when it happened. 
The Treasury Secretary led a walkout of finance ministers today when Russian officials began addressing the gathering. Where's everybody going? The group did also not issue a communique, a read on the terminal, when the meeting was over, which is pretty unusual. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki was asked about it. The president and Secretary Yellen have both said that we can't have business as usual at the G20 or in a lot of these international forums as it relates to Russia. And uh, she uh, and, and the Treasury team made clear that she was planning to participate in some and not other meetings, uh, which certainly is something we support. The president also has conveyed he doesn't believe that they should be a part, that Russia should be a part of the G20. That's now six months away in terms of his participation. So I can't make a prediction of what actions he may or may not take, but uh, certainly we support her steps and it's an indication of uh, of the fact that President Putin and Russia has become a pariah on the global stage. A pariah on the global stage as we reassemble the panel with Rick and Jeannie, Bloomberg Politics contributors, Rick Davis, Jeannie Shanzano. Good move here, Rick. Yeah, I think that uh, anything that the organization um, of uh, democracies and large economies can do to uh, keep the spotlight on Vladimir Putin and the Kremlin and, and the heinous acts uh, that they're perpetrating against the Ukrainians, it's, it, that's a good day. Um, the one thing that I think the Ukrainians fear is that Europe and the United States lose sight of their plight. Uh, get distracted by other world events and somehow look the other way. And the day was a good day in that regard. What do you make of this uh, idea here, Jeannie? Obviously, carefully choreographed. Is this as close as we can get, knowing that we can't have Russia expelled as the president wishes from the G20? China and Indonesia aren't going there. It, it makes a statement, and it's important. And, you know, a, a, a very bad comparison, but Wimbledon telling Russian tennis players they can't play. These are all important steps. If, if Vladimir Putin is going to be engaging in an attempt to destroy a country, genocide, um, uh, in the name of Russia, then then how could they possibly expect that they would be welcomed in any avenue, whether political, economic, sports, or anything else on the world stage? So I think this was important. They should be expelled. It's not going to happen, it looks like. But it's absolutely the right step that Janet Yellen and her colleagues took on this today. President Biden met today, uh, brought cameras into the cabinet room for a meeting with the Secretary of Defense, Deputy Secretary, the staff of the Joint Chiefs uh, there as well, Rick. Uh, They didn't make news, but putting all that brass in one room with the president made for some pretty good pictures. Is this part of the PR campaign? Yeah, uh, it demonstrates the war footing that the White House is on. Uh, They're taking this seriously. They're, They're making decisions even now about additional uh, lethal military aid to Ukraine, in addition to the 800 million that were announced last week. Yep. So uh, the drumbeat of support and resupply uh, uh, was really on display today in the White House. Uh, and and frankly, uh, what I would hope is that the, the the next decision that the White House makes to supply the Ukrainians is substantially larger than what they've been doing. Um, I think that uh, Congress approved billions of dollars and we've been sending millions of dollars. And, and you know, my own view is if, if the logistics can handle it, they, they, they need to go now uh, and get everything they can to the front of this war. President hasn't held a formal address on the situation uh, in Ukraine uh, for a bit of time here, Jeannie. How difficult is the communication uh, going to get, the messaging with with this administration? If Russia continues to bear down on Ukraine, if Americans don't see us slowing down Russia's advance? 
it becomes very difficult. And, you know, he's caught between a rock and a hard place here. He's got people in the administration saying you've got to focus also on domestic issues. You've got to get out. We're months before a midterm election, yeah. and he's been trying to do that. And on the other hand, one of the real challenges for them is that people ha- get fatigue. People look and they see the amount of money being spent. People in the United States, they need to know what it's going for. Is it effective? And they're concerned about what's happening to them at home. And so he's got to address both of these things. And it's a very, very difficult thing to do. W- when you had the conversation yesterday, with the representative and he said you know he's got to explain to the american public that's absolutely true Mm -hmm. and this is not just a communication problem but it is a communication problem for the white house they've got to do a better job saying what we are doing why and why it matters to us while people are suffering at home as well you know i i I asked that uh rick because i do wonder at what point people start asking about money 800 million here a billion there Right now, President Zelensky is a hero, and the American people's hearts really do seem to be with the Ukrainians. I just wonder how many months go by before we start asking for an accounting of what we're spending. Yeah, look, I mean, this is approved money by Congress. Uh, You know, the people had a debate around it. Uh, I I don't think that's a big issue right now, but uh, certainly public pressure against war is. And I can just recall a time in the in the middle of John McCain's comeback to try and win the Republican nomination in 2008. He returned from a trip to Iraq and said, I'd rather win a war than win an election. And yeah. so he turned his campaign on supporting the surge. Mm-hmm. Uh, it worked. Uh, and he actually won the, the, the primary uh, with a message of putting more troops on the ground. So look, the American public wants leadership. Uh, they're less convinced on what the outcome needs to be, but they want to know that we're doing everything we can to help you know this country. That's been borne out in the polls. The worst thing I think that this president can do is somehow try to uh, look the other way and and worry about an election rather than than beating the Russians. Spending time with Rick and Jeannie, our panel here, the signature panel on Bloomberg Sound on on what is. Well, geez, according to the majority leader in the Senate, it's an important holiday. Today is what you might call a very unofficial American holiday, 420. There it is. It's an appropriate, it's as appropriate a time as any to take a hard look at our laws that have over-criminalized the use of marijuana and put it on a par with heroin, LSD, and other narcotics that bear little or no resemblance in their effects either on individuals or on society more broadly. The war on drugs has too often been a war on people, particularly people of color. That was exactly one year ago on 420. And now I see on the terminal, Schumer aims to introduce cannabis bill before August recess. Uh, This was just a couple of days ago. The majority leader, Chuck Schumer, along with uh, Ron Wyden, who chairs the Senate Finance Committee, and Senate Democrat Cory Booker all together on a bill to establish a federal standard for cannabis legalization and regulation and would also come with, I believe, expungement. There would be, we'll find out when they drop the bill, of course, uh, likely uh, essentially expunging marijuana crimes, the equity component here, uh, marijuana offenses, whatever got you in jail. This is something that the president promised Jeannie on the campaign trail. Jen Psaki was pressed on it today and really had no answers just to say that he, he promised to decriminalize marijuana. How come it hasn't happened? 
It, it, and, you know, it's interesting listening to Chuck Schumer. He's like channeling Elon Musk there a bit with the focus on 420. <laughs> but, um, you know, I think what's happened is obviously the president has and the administration has been consumed uh, by so many things, beginning with the pandemic and, of course, the war in Russia and so on and so forth. So a lot of the promises made they haven't addressed. But I think the better answer is that they are challenged by this rise in crime and and you know the legislation is right but they've got to message it in such a way that republicans going into a midterm can't use it to say ah look at there go the democrats again decriminalizing decriminalizing they're letting the criminals get away with so much so that's a challenge there and you know chuck schumer has got to take a lead on that if he's going to try to pass this bill and i still think it's going to be a very uphill battle well yeah look we've talked about this before uh, when the safe Banking Act passed at the House, I believe, for the sixth time, Rick. This was uh, this was a couple of months ago. We spoke with Congressman Perlmutter, who introduced that. I know you don't see Republicans pitching in on this. Therefore, it's not going to pass the Senate. But can the president do something by executive order to please his supporters who might have voted for him because of this? Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, he can do all kinds of things with the Justice Department as far as decriminalization. Uh, Barack Obama did some of that when he was president uh, to do exactly the same thing. <laughs> couldn't get a bill passed, couldn't yeah. get his own party to support it in some cases. Uh, so so sure. Uh, but I think it, 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 it really goes back to what Jeannie was saying, which is at a time when the one of the number one issues legislatively and politically is crime, mm-hmm. and you're in the process of decriminalization, even though it's the right thing to do, it's an awful talking point at the wrong time. And, uh, and so this administration has not shown a lot of public courage in tackling these hard issues. Uh, we still don't see anything on climate. We still don't see anything on yeah. a number of these issues that he campaigned hard on. Uh, those Trump tax cuts are still firmly in place uh, because none of these things are good political choices. And this administration doesn't seem to want to make any hard choices. Even though they brought out progressive voters uh, in the primaries, Jeannie, uh, is this the kind of thing that Joe Biden keeps in his pocket until after the midterms? You do it next year? He might try. But, you know, and there is a school of thought amongst progressives who say, pull these things out now. You made promises. So the danger here, he doesn't do what he promised to progressives and they don't get energized to go out. So either way, it's a difficult call for them. And the wheel goes round. Thanks, as always, to Rick and Jeannie, our signature panel on Bloomberg Sound On. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington. I'll meet you back here tomorrow and we'll see what happens as we connect the dots between business and politics. This is Bloomberg. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more.